0: Welcome to the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. Shilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes John Droz, Jr., a retired physicist, a researcher, and citizen's rights activist. In today's topic, the key to fixing the U.S. K-12 education system. John Droz, welcome to the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate being here. I want to start here because I want to open the net very wide, and a lot of people are tuned out regarding public education. Why should we all be concerned about public education in America, even if we don't have kids in the schools?
1: Well, public education is uh, training our next generation of citizens, American citizens, to be knowledgeable, interested, accurately informed uh, citizens, or do we want them to be propagandized puppets?
0: It's a very good way of putting it, and I think we see a lot of the latter in today's society, and I'm very concerned about what we see upcoming, as we observe even here in Charlottesville, local government schools and what's happening there. You came down to a couple of very interesting problems when we analyze how we would fix the K-12 education system. And the top problem here is probably one that most people would not think of. It has to do with the ability to think critically. How come we've gotten away from that?
1: Well, because uh, the people who are trying to undermine our education system want us to be away from that. The worst thing for them would be to have citizens, uh, a wide number, large number of citizens uh, that are critically thinking, competent people. They have gone out of their way to kill the idea of critical thinking. Now, of course, these people are very clever. They aren't (laughs) trying to be polite here. They're very clever. Let's put it this way. And so on the one hand, if you ask them, all right, uh, what's your view on critical thinking? They say, oh, well, we're all in favor of that. That's a good thing. Blah, 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 blah. So they're hoping that the average person will then say, okay, great, we're on the same page and walk away. But then if you actually look at what they're doing, it's completely the opposite of critical thinking. So they are not advocating or uh, actually educating uh, students to be critical thinkers of all. They're actually educating them to be uh, lemmings to go along with whatever is uh, politically favored.
0: As we think about critical thinking, maybe we ought to step back and help people understand exactly what we're talking about. I fear like the word common sense, that the word critical thinking is disappearing from at least understanding. So if you had to define it or help people to understand what we're talking about, how would you do that?
1: That's one of the challenges here. Uh, on the surface, critical thinking is fairly easy to understand. Um uh, when you gets down to it, uh, there are some people that uh, go into it in great deal of depth, and obviously at that point, some people just shut down. So in my report here, I do both. I give a um, 30,000 foot view, you might say, and also I reference some academic papers. So for instance, there's one report I reference, it's like, uh, I don't know, 30 pages, that all it discusses is critical thinking. How could you go on for 30 pages? Well, it gives a lot of examples and all, but it can be a complicated matter. But I don't look at it as being complicated. I looked at it from a layperson's point of view that critically thinking about something is essentially looking, expanding your view on it, your consideration of it, and I'm looking at it in two dimensions. So, in other words, looking at it uh, wider, more broadly. And then uh, the other mention would be to look at uh, the topic uh, deeper.
0: So we have broadened horizons. Uh, something else that you mentioned in the report I thought was really interesting was critical thinking is important to adaptability. In other words, how you navigate life and the things that you come across. Would you elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Well, one of the big things that uh, a lot of uh, schools are talking about, uh, they're complaining. They say, how, how do we teach students today? to be in a job market when they ultimately graduate where the jobs don't even exist today. So how do we prepare them for that? This is something they repeatedly say. Well, my view, that's because they're going about the wrong way. You don't prepare someone by training them specifically to do a specific job. The better preparation is to have them critically think. So if they have the ability to be a critical thinker, that means by definition they are an adapter. They can they can change because of their critical thinking skills. When a person graduates with critical thinking skills and that means they have adaptability, that's the best type of situation that they will be able to adjust to essentially any type of job.
0: Another really interesting point John that I had not considered before But you mentioned that critical thinking is a powerful tool for not only minorities but also the financially disadvantaged. Why?
1: Because people who are uh, minorities or financially disadvantaged are often targeted for a variety of reasons, let's say for scammers or whatever. Uh, They're bullied. Your best defense isn't uh, to beat somebody up or have a physical alteration. The best defense is to outsmart the person. So the smarter the person is, more they have the ability to do critical thinking. They're more. They're going to be able to see through some of the scams and so forth that are presented to them. And as you saw in the uh, the report, I cite no less a figure than Martin Luther King, who says that's got to be the job of our education system to produce critically thinking graduates. I mean, that, that's I paraphrase it, but that's that's what he said. Uh, which is really the same thing I'm saying. So MLK and I are on the exact same page.
0: Are there things that are modern that we should say, hey, here is exactly why we need to pursue this? Because it takes some work.
1: I'm, I'm sure is one of the things we should learn when we're younger, that uh, things worthwhile, by and large, take work. So yeah. that's one of the problems that uh, Americans are being propagandized by, that uh, they are interested in uh, immediate gratification. That's sort of uh, one of the predominant messages that would be sold directly and indirectly numerous times a day. Go for immediate gratification. So the whole idea of delayed gratification is passe and uh, almost uh, looked at as a liability or something a, a ignorant person would do, but. Believe me, that that's one of the things that uh, they are trying to corrupt our mentality. Uh, going for immediate gratification is um, a bad idea.
0: Yeah, this is what I see. So we've been really dumbed down. Uh, they talk about the length of news clips and the nightly news, if anyone still watches that. But how they went from maybe close to a minute to down to maybe 10 seconds now or even less. And we cannot pay attention mm-hmm. to things. So it, it brings back the problem here for, for people who are interested in acquiring critical thinking skills, whether they're students or beyond that, uh, where do you start? Let's say someone wanted to educate themselves uh, to become a critical thinker. Where would you have them start and how would the process go?
1: Well, that's part of my message that uh, in, in this report is that where this should start in general is in when we have students in K through 12 teaching them science. Uh, the reason for that is, it's not like other subjects you shouldn't be critical thinking, but I'm saying science is the most appropriate topic to teach critical thinking. And the reason is that scientists, by definition, are supposed to be people who are skeptical. That's the definition of a science. They are supposed to be someone who doesn't take things at face value. They're supposed to be a person who asks questions, a lot of questions. That's a person who's skeptical. So, in other words, when somebody comes up and says, "You know, wind energy is the greatest thing since sliced bread," you don't just say, oh, "Okay, that sounds good." No, you start asking questions. You know, wh- why is that? What evidence do you have to show that? What do you mean by "good"? What are the downsides to it? Are you taking that into account? Asking questions, getting in the habit of asking questions, in my opinion, is one of the best ways to get started to be a critical thinker.
0: So I wanna go to the number two problem that you've identified, the corruption of the curriculum and science in particular. And you brought out the ranking of US science number 25 across the world and and asked the question, is it acceptable? So I think the answer obviously is no, but why do so many people accept that?
1: I suspect that number one, a lot of people don't know it. If you ask the average person, how do we rank? How do our students rank? the 70 OCADs are uh, mostly European countries, so it's not worldwide, but uh, that's a representative, somewhat relatively similar type com- countries. Uh, so, if you ask the average person out on the street, uh, how does out, out of the top 70 uh, European countries, let's say, how does the United States rank on education of science? Uh, I'm sure a lot of them would say higher than 25. Second thing is that uh, they think that uh, we're doing the best we can do, and uh, other people are uh, uh, getting some preferential treatment or something else to explain this. Uh, a third response might be, well, uh, okay, maybe we're not doing that well in science, but uh, that isn't all that important anyways. You know, There's a whole bunch of excuses that people say about this here. I think bottom line is they don't really know what to do about it. So let's say they accept it and understand it, Then the next question is, okay, what do you do about this? Uh, That's where they're stumped. They think, well, we've got competent science teachers, we've got textbooks, we've got state uh, education departments that are overseeing all this and having tests and all this kind of other stuff here. Uh, What can I do as a citizen to come in and uh, fix this?
0: John, as we look at this, this list, I'm very curious who would be near the, at or near the top of the list and what is setting them apart? In other words, what are they doing that is successful?
1: Some of it would uh, in, uh, involve a major change in how the system works or how teachers are trained or a variety of other uh, factors here that can be pretty complicated. But I can't give you an answer as to exactly what that is because, in my view, it's more than just the science. If you look at other things, uh, reading, stuff like that here, it's the same thing. So if you're looking at a comparison, it wouldn't be just the science part of it.
0: We hear an awful lot about how the schools need more money. We're hearing hearing constantly that they're going to need additional dollars. We've spent a tremendous amount of money. Is more money really the answer here or has that actually been counterproductive?
1: I, I don't think so at all. That's just a, a, a cop out for people uh, to avoid taking responsibility for their bad actions. I think some studies, but some studies I've seen have shown that actually the United States spends more per pupil than almost any other country does. So we are not 25th out of 70 in that scale.
0: The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues in a moment with our guest, John Droz. Stay with us. Online at SchillingShow.com. Get your fix online at shillingshow.com. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. John drose Jr. is our guest. We're talking about a new report, The Key to Fixing the U.S. K 12 Education System. And so we're looking at the. Uh, corruption of the curriculum, and I'd like for you to give us an idea and a little bit of background, how the left took over the science standards and what that means going forward.
1: Well, first question I think is, why did they do that? Mm-hmm. And then my opinion is, is that they realize two things here. One is, they realize that uh, science is the appropriate way to teach critical thinking, and they want to put a squash to that. So to do that, they need to control science standards, and second of all, they realize that uh, STEM expertise is uh, significantly important for America to maintain its world leadership position, so they would like to undermine that as well. They said science is the area we're going to focus on. That's the short version. How they did that Mm -hmm. is that uh, a group of uh, left-leaning, what I would call left-leaning organizations, I won't name them, but they're someone identified in the report here, got together and said, let's uh, write up a um, what I'm calling a, a progressive uh, Bible to what uh, we want K through twelve students to be taught in science. So this is a several hundred page document, and it includes uh, some surprising, disturbing, unscientific things. We can talk about that in a minute. So after they, this is this is a document published. wasn't just created by, but it was published in the, under the auspices of NAS, National Academy of Sciences. And the idea was that that would give it credence. Who's going to say, well, I'm smarter than the National Academy of Sciences, but they had become left compromised for a long time. So it's no surprise that it got published under their auspices. So once they had, this is what's called the framework. So that, that particular document, the framework, was the Bible, as I'm calling it. And then they had to uh, take one more step, and that was to translate to the ideology and so forth content of that framework into a format that state boards of education could use to implement science standards. So that's what become the NGSS. That's the second document, a sister document that's really the same material, but just in a different format would be the best way to look at it. So the NGSS stands for Next Generation Science Standards. So that was done about 1912 uh, or 13, one, the framework was first, then the NGSS came along. And so then they had uh, this this left-leaning science uh, curriculum standards uh, that they, they went around and marketed this to uh, state boards of education because this is a state matter. Some people say we need the federal government out of it. Well, this is a, that's another matter. The federal government probably should be out of things, but they are not responsible for... Uh, our curriculum or our science standards. These are a state-decided matter. So every state has a state board of education. So these people literally went to every single state board of education in the country, and I know this because I know some people who are on state boards of education. They told me exactly what happened. So they went, and they made a very polished professional pitch saying, you know, your state uh, needs to adapt uh, this state-of-the-art set of science standards, NGSS, they had answers to questions, and, but the fact that it was endorsed by the National Academy of Sciences, uh, National Science Teachers Association, other type of groups like that, of course, gave it credence. So by and large, uh, these states did this. So as of today, 45 states have endorsed the uh, NGSS, either in its entirety or almost all of it.
0: I'm curious about those five that have not, and if there is any substantive difference in the instruction of science in those in those particular states.
1: Well, I'm sure there is, but uh, getting down to the nuts and bolts of whatever this is, is a very complex, time-consuming process. As I say, just, just these standards are several hundred pages. Mm-hmm. So to take, uh, let's say, the standards of North Carolina, where I'm at, And compare it to the standards, the science standards of Florida or Texas, which are two of the states that have not bought into it, uh, would would take weeks of intensive work to ferret out exactly the differences. But the things that I put in my report, there are eight significant uh, problems with the NGSS that I came across just by a relatively cursory examination. That'd be the place I'd look, because I'd say, by and large, these other states would not have those eight problems. They may have one or two of them, but they certainly wouldn't have all eight of them.
0: Let's go to some of the problems, and I'd like to start with what's being taught, which you claim is the opposite of critical thinking. We started our whole conversation on this topic, so how do they teach the opposite of critical thinking?
1: Let's say we have a topic that has some controversy to it, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's say renewable energy, wind energy. So there are people who are for and against wind energy. So a critical thinking presentation in a class would be to, uh, the teacher would tell the students, they say, okay, here is uh, a list of things that are good about industrial wind energy in an objective manner. And that's part of it, maybe I should have said this in the first place, part of my view is to do this through critical thinking properly is, you need to start off with a comprehensive, and objective presentation of the material. Comprehensive, objective, those are two very important things. So thoroughness and objectivity. So the teacher doesn't start off saying, well, when is a good thing. No, that's a value judgment. Teacher starts out by saying, here's some of the purported benefits of it, but then spends an equal amount of time saying, here are some of the purported liabilities of it. Then the student has a list of both things, good things and bad things. Well, then that's where the discussion and the critical thinking uh, starts, that they can research any of these topics a little further to find out what's the basis of it. Let's say one of the negatives may be that it has uh, harmful um, noise produced by uh, turbines. So they may say, okay, what type of noise? What what would the noise range here? What's the intensity of the noise? Uh, how frequently does noise happen? Uh, what are some of the side effects of these type of noises, so on and so forth. Then they'd come across the infrasound and stuff like that to say, oh, well, infrasound's a whole very interesting topic in itself. And in fact, if they kept researching, they'd say infrasound is so powerful that the federal government, the military, actually is, has been investigating that as a, as a, as a weapon. So this is how critical thinking works. You'd start off with a comprehensive objective presentation of both sides of the issue, and then you'd go deeper, as I said, wider or deeper, into these things. Then the student can make a decision and say, okay, after looking at all this, I'm not in favor of wind energy, or after looking at all this, I think wind energy is great. Whatever. But at least they've done uh, an analysis of it and some thought to it by looking at it in a broader and deeper way. So the question is, is that done? Well, all you have to do is look at certain things like that. When they talk about renewable energy in the NGSS, they talk about nothing but positive things. They don't say a single negative thing about it. It's just positive things. We need this to solve climate change, stuff like that. When they talk about fossil fuels, they just talk about negative things. They don't talk about any benefits of fossil fuels, as an example. So all of these type of topics, they only give a one-sided story to So anybody that's giving a one-sided story, that is a complete contradiction of what critical thinking is all about.
0: You also mentioned the elimination of the scientific method, and again, I think it deserves us taking some time to examine what the scientific method is and what they're using in its place.
1: Well, that's that's a profoundly significant matter, in my opinion. The scientific method, most people don't realize, has been around a long time. I did some research on that to find out exactly when it turns out scientific method, the origins of it started about 4,000 years ago in Egypt. It's been here 4,000 years. We've used the scientific method, which basically is a procedure for testing out a hypothesis. Hypothesis is something you speculate. So, for instance, you might say, well, I uh, I have centipede type grass in my yard, but I think uh, St. Augustine grass might be better. an yeah. example of a hypothesis. I said, yes, you don't know, but you're speculating. So a scientific method would be to go about, set up a test, and say, okay, fine, I'm going to have two squares or parts of my yard, one with centipede, the other with St. Augustine. I'm going to water them the same, fertilize them the same, and see which uh, develops better here. It would be a procedure for to logically go through these these alternatives, and see whether, in fact, your hypothesis pans out. If it doesn't, well, then it doesn't. You start over, come up with another one, or whatever. That that has served us well for 4,000 years. So these people, this little group of people here, this handful of people here, about 10 years ago, just decided on their own, without public, publication, public discussion, or anything else, they just decided that they were going to scrap the scientific method. Yeah. I mean, the, the arrogance of this is just... Mind-bending, in my opinion. This handful of progressives knew better than what 4,000 years of benefits have uh, shown the scientific method to provide. Of course, in the, in the teaching of students, uh, at no point did they discuss why they take this out. No. It's, not, it's never even mentioned. You do a search for the word scientific method, it doesn't even come up in the NGSS. So it's another example of how they're false about their critical thinking claims. If they were really about critical thinking, they'd bring it up and say, okay, fine. Here's what students in the past have used, the scientific method. Here's why we think there's something else that's better. Let's discuss this and look at the pros and cons of each. Do they do that? No. (laughs) They just decided a priori scientific method is out. We're replacing it with a science and engineering procedure, which they just made up. No basis of fact to say it's any better or anything. How how many citizens know this? How many parents know this? How many teachers have spoken up against this? It's just astounding me that almost no one has said a word about this profound change in science education.
0: If we're looking at the solution and you have a lot of good ideas in the report, John, I want to start with fixing the state's science standards it sounds like a tall job because there's obviously a coordinated effort to do what you've just described here so how and where do people begin
1: because there's several things you need to do but part of it is getting educated so you you can't fix anything unless you know what the problem is so you got to do something like read the report here to make sure you understand what it is you're talking about you just can't go and show up and say this is lousy uh you got to know what you're talking about Second of all, you got to know who who is the, the, the people you need to talk to. Lots of times, uh, they think that the problem is the teacher or the problem is their local school board. Well, they may or may not be a problem, but they're not at fault as far as state standards are. Those people don't have any control per se over state standards. So the only ones that do that are the state board of education. So you need to know that, and you need to look that up, uh, Google it, and see who those people are, and try to see if anybody you know here, and uh, then get some other concerned parents and um, maybe have a meeting with the State Board of Education. I, I can tell you that that is almost unheard of, that the State Board of Education would have a group, uh, a group of citizens approach them. They, they wouldn't know what to do, quite frankly, because mm-hmm. it essentially never happens. But if a group of educated, uh, uh, determined citizens showed up at a meeting, you know, with an appointment, uh, that, that, that could be very well a profound uh,
0: impact. John, if people who are listening to this podcast would like to get a copy of your report and more information on the work that you're doing, would you tell us where we can find it online?
1: The best thing to do would probably be to send me an email. Uh, my email, my name, of course, is John Droze. It's D-R-O-Z. But my email is John. So that's Apple, Apple, Peter, Robert, John A-A-P-R-John, at, and the last part is northnet, N-O-R-T-H-N-E-T dot org.
0: I hope people will take advantage of the opportunity to become educated on this. It's such a critical issue. John Droz, thank you for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast.
1: Thank you, Rob. I appreciate the opportunity to discuss this.
0: That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at Shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.